So it feels like summer now, huh? So many people are out of town. This is the month we all travel. So I was going to say this. Um, if I hope that you have friends <laughs> at this church. If you don't, we're going to work on that this fall. So if you go, I don't have any friends yet, don't worry. We're not leaving you out. But for right now, this month while we're all traveling or people are missing or you know going and doing things, uh, if somebody you haven't seen in a while pops in your mind, give them a text. We have this technology. Let's stay, stay connected. I know some of our people are all across the United States right now visiting family and all these kind of awesome things that we get to do. And so let's not lose the connection. I think it's important. So if somebody pops into your head, text them. Say, I was thinking about you. Don't have to be weird. That can be good, you know. I was thinking about you. Good things. So Kevin and I decided that we were going to go through the stories of Elijah and Elisha. Uh, I kind of said that backwards. Elijah and Elisha this summer. Kevin kicked us off last week, giving us a lot of context. If you uh, didn't hear that message, go check it out. It's on, you know, the internets. But we also, because um, normally we give out those books that have, you know, what we're going through. And since this one is kind of spanning a couple different books and stuff, and we're going to reference some other things, we instead made these cards, which are available on our website, but we ran out last week. And so... I have printed some more, so I need somebody to help me hand these out to anybody who wants one. What it is, is it's like a, it gives you some information about what we're talking about and also a breakdown of what we're doing each week and some kind of questions so you can study along. We made them like a bookmark so you can put them in a paper Bible if you've ever seen such a thing. And uh, so somebody, somebody that's really close to up here, yeah, come take these around. Dan in the back needs one, so make sure you start back there and work for it. If you need one of these and you want one, raise your hand and she'll bring you one. And... Uh, It's a good thing to keep up with so you know, even if you miss a week because you're traveling, like I said, you can read along where we were. Um, Make sure you get back to Dan, though, because... No, it's not okay. (laughs) Let me pray. This is our second week. We are on week two when you get this sheet or if you see it on our website, week two. And we're talking about 1 Kings 18. It's Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So let me pray really quick. Um, It's funny we thought this would be... It is. It's a great thing to do this summer, but as Kevin and I were reviewing what we're going to be talking about, every single one of these messages is kind of like a punch in the face, and I think it's a good thing. I think we need it, uh, but <laughs> it's not like lighthearted summer uh, series, you know, like where we're just going through movies or something, So, um, which is what you would do normally. So let me pray um, for myself and for you. God, we just pray that you would bless this time as we look into your word, that you would open it up to us. You said your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's living and active. Lord, I pray that you would make it living and active today for us, for the children as they study the same story across the, the hall, Lord. We pray that you would bless the teachers as they teach it, that we'd be able to speak the truth of what is in this story that you've got in your word, Lord, and that we would hear it. Hear it and put it to use, and Lord, that you would use it to change, change our lives, change our hearts, and help um, me to speak what it is you would want to say, and help us to hear what it is you would want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a Paul Wilbur song uh, that just popped in my mind this morning. Some of you know who he is. He's a um, worship leader. Uh, he's a Messianic worship leader. Um, he's actually based out of Jacksonville, believe it or not, but he wrote this song. I believe the version I'm familiar with 
he says he wrote it. Or the version I'm familiar with is him singing it, and when I looked it up, it said song by him, but the internet lies sometimes. So if it's actually not by him, forgive me. But the chorus of this, it's called Let the Weight of Your Glory Fall, is the name of the song. And the chorus is this, let the weight of your glory cover us. Let the life of your river flow. Let the truth of your kingdom reign in us. Let the weight of your glory, let the weight of your glory fall. And the verse is, Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, come and make your presence known. Reveal the glory of the living God. And then it says that again. I don't think it's actually, I'll see, let me sing part of this because I don't think it's quite <laughs> sounding as important as I think it is. It's like this. Let the weight of your glory cover us. Let the life of your river flow. Let the truth of your kingdom reign in us. Let the weight of your glory, let the weight of your glory fall. Verse, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, come and make your presence known, reveal the glory of the living God. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, come and make your presence known, reveal the glory of the living God. Let the weight of your glory cover us. Let the life of your river flow. Let the truth of your kingdom reign in us. Let the weight of your glory, let the weight of your glory fall. Let the weight of your glory, let the weight of your glory fall. So Lord, I pray that you would do that in this place. As we study the story of your glory coming in Jesus' name, amen. We ended our study of Ephesians a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 6, and we talked about the armor of God, and there's this section of verses, verses Ephesians 6, 13 and 14, where he says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and da 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 and it keeps going about the, <laughs> the armor of God. And if you notice, I highlighted here for you, He's like, stand your ground, and then to stand, and stand for, you know, So there's this idea, after all of what Paul had laid out about the glory of God and the love of God for us and his gifts to us and his strengthening of us and all of the, what we can know, like knowing the love of God allows us to stand in dark times and to stand. And he kept saying to stand. I want you to stand. I don't want you to hide. I don't want you to run away. I don't want you to be like disengaged from life. I want you to stand. I want you to stand and not stand in a mean way, not stand in an, in an angry way, but to stand in a Christian way like Jesus did. 
And that's what we're called to do. And that's what this story is about. And this is going to help us see this. And this book, uh, which I called The Audible, I had planned on doing a different book for July. But since this book fits so well with everything, this is the book I want us to read. This gets into some details about how to do that now. Because oftentimes we look at uh, the time that we're in. And we're frustrated by the things we see. You know, has anybody had this experience? Has anyone had this conversation every day? Like all the time. That's what I feel like we do. We, get, we see what's going on and we're frustrated by it. And then we find ourselves saying things like, something like, man, it didn't used to be like that. It used to be some other way. Yada, 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 yada. You know? <laughs> I put another book on our, uh, on our website. It's, link. it's an A.W. Tozer book about the voice of a prophet. And he's talking about to stand as well. And I highly recommend that you get this. I said last week how I read through it because Kevin had sent it to me because it has a big chunk about Elijah and Elisha. It has other prophets as well. But it gets at this point, standing. And I felt like it was like pressure washing all the junk off me, you know. And I had said last week, like, you're not, the pressure washer is when you kind of, not necessarily that you went mudding and you need to pressure wash your truck. That's fine. That's not what I was really talking about. What I was more meaning is sometimes a lot of us haven't gotten into any trouble or haven't really, you know, gotten dirty, if you follow what I mean. But instead, we've just kind of done nothing. And by doing nothing, stuff has grown all over us. And we're dirty, but just from doing nothing. And this book was like God going... But it wasn't exactly gentle. <laughs> I found it to be great. I was like, yes, like get rid of all this. And it cleared my head a little bit. And I think it will do the same thing for you. And in that book, he talks about this exact issue. You look at the world around you, and you kind of tend to imagine or want to be somewhere maybe like it used to be different it used to be this other way and he quotes Ralph Waldo Emerson and says this this meaning now like all times is a very good one if we but know what to do with it because don't you think the Bible actually says God knows like when he made you do you think he messed up you know, that's kind of what he starts addressing. He goes through all sorts of Christian heroes in the Bible and in, you know, Christian history. He's like, I don't want to live in any of those times, he says. I want to live now where God made me because this is when he made me. And if God made us now, he knows what's going on now. He knows what's going to be going on now, and he wants us to stand. This is what we're called to do, and we can do it. But we get stuck in this, you know, longing for this past. And then Tozer goes on writing about that quote. He says, we sniffle over yesterday. And often those yesterdays were not as great as they might have been. <laughs> we just hear about the best times. You read a book and you read the best things that happened in those days. Rarely do you read about the worst things that happened. And I want to tell you this. We should learn, and we did, like a couple summers ago, we went through the book of Acts. And we should study the early church. It's the word of God and it's very important. But we are not called to live in that time. We're called to live like that now. And we can and will do it. But it's a different, we can't just go, oh, I wish it was like that. I wish it was, that's, this is in some weird way a major distraction from what's going on um, in the Bible and what we're going to look at today. And, and I want to say this. When you go through the stories of Elijah and Elisha, this is kind of like the big one, right? You know, you're like Noah and the ark, Daniel and the lion's den, Samson and Delilah, you know, these kind of stories, David and Goliath. You need to know all of these. Like, this isn't, like, optional. So like, if, we go, if y'all go with the Springs Church <laughs> on summer camp, and they do, like, Bible trivia day, and you miss this a lot, don't embarrass me, all right? You need to know this. This is the, this is the main Elijah story, probably, you know? So, this is Bible 101. You need, this is like, this is like Noah and the Ark. 
You should know that this is Elijah and the prophets of Baal. This is the big one, you know, the biggest one probably, even though he does other things. And so just to give you some of the background, uh, if you remember, Kevin had brought up this pattern that we're going to see repeatedly uh, and God operating with prophets and specifically in these stories where Israel does evil or we do evil or people are doing evil and then God acts with justice. God sends a messenger, the prophet, and then God reigns over evil. This is the pattern that we need to see. And you see it very blatantly this week. So the recap, as Kevin went through some last week, the Israel got it established, the land and the king, and then they want, we want a king. And he's like, you don't want a king. And they're like, no, we really do want a king. He's like, okay, and then give him the king. And it starts, and David does a good job, Solomon, they do all right. And then it immediately starts to fall apart. And the kingdom actually breaks in half. And the top, the 10 northern nations, they end up, or northern tribes go and become what we call Israel. And the southern tribes stay called Judah. And then you'll see in the book of these kings, it'll go back and forth between these kings. He goes, because like one king would be born in Judah and then another king would be in Israel. It can get confusing because some of them have like rhyming names and stuff, but you can kind of keep up with it if you go along. And the, the nutshell of the whole thing is they basically didn't do a good job. You know, God has he set these people apart to reveal himself to the world through, and he'd made covenant with them, and they just kind of broke a lot of it. You know, and Ahab is the king that we're finding out today. You know, Kevin had said last week, 1 Kings 17.1, Elijah shows up, and he says to Ahab the king, As the Lord... The God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. Which is not good news to a king, but you're like, well, why would he say that to this guy? Well, in case you don't remember, Ahab was a bad dude. And and if you see the end of 1 Kings 16, um, you can read through from like verses 29 on. It goes through, he came up, Ahab, I mean, he married Jezebel, who was was a Baal, Baal worshiper. And... He says, okay, cool, I'll do that too. So he sets up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria, and and he made an Asherah pole, which is another pagan thing. And he did, listen to this, did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. I think a lot of times we like to imagine God as being like, God's like this Santa Claus guy who's always really happy with everything I do all the time. Have you ever considered the fact that you could do things that arouse the anger of the Lord? And have you also ever considered the fact that if God's angry about something we're doing, he's not wrong? Just think about this. I mean, if God's God at all, you know, it's not like, well, come on, let me make a case for myself. He's like, I already know that. Like, <laughs> King, so Ahab is a bad dude. He's turned his back on God and he's turned towards these idols, this compromise, and they're doing like blatantly against God things to the point that he's done more than all the other guys before him to make God mad. So God sends Elijah to say, like, look, no more rain till I say so, you know, which you got to be pretty bold to do something like that. And it doesn't rain. Part of this whole thing is, you remember we were going through Exodus, how each one of those plagues was kind of pointing at different gods of Egypt. You know, like, you have a god of the, of the Nile. Like, well, here's what, here's what the real god can do to it. This is God making his case. The whole main point of this whole story is that God is the most powerful. God is the most and the greatest. He's the only real God, and he has to remind everybody this over and over and over again, and he needs to remind us today the same story. And so one of, when you have, they're worshiping Baal. He was, you know, and there's kind of a collection of gods, I guess, that, you know, would fall under this title. But you would see fertility being one of the things, and also, you know, like, the growth of the ground, like the rain and the, you know, the pr- pr- like you would worship this God and the idea that like we'll produce more 
like with the crops and stuff and like the rain will and so this is kind of God saying like no you know it's like no it's not gonna rain at all and so three years go by and it doesn't rain and this is already a desert place and so it's pretty dry it's pretty messed up and Kevin told you some stories while Elijah was gone so we pick up in 18 after after a long time it says in the third year the word of the Lord came to Elijah go and present yourself to Ahab I will and I will send rain to the land so Elijah went to present himself to the king and like I, I think about this, I would feel you have to you you're gonna have to step in and out of this story a couple different ways. You know, <laughs> he had told a king because of all this stuff you're doing. God's saying the real God is saying it's not gonna rain anymore. Which if you try to just step out and do something like that, that could not work because I don't know if you've noticed we can't control the weather. Even now in 2023, with all the technology we have to control a lot of things, the weather always is kind of like God being like, you know, you still haven't got a lot figured out. You know, we still have to deal with hurricanes and all this kind of stuff. And so, but he does tell him, and God stops the rain. And then now he's going to God saying, all right, go tell him the rain's going to come back. So he has the courage to go do this. But you need to hear this. Uh, one of the Tozer quotes I saw, he said, go. It's a very simple thing. It's just very hard to do. Go do what God says to do. Go do what God says to do. It's, not a, it's very much not a good idea to just make up idea, like things like this and challenge the world. You know, we talked about the, the seven sons of Sceva and stuff like that. You, know, you, you don't want to just dabble in like trying into these spiritual... You need to be doing what God is telling you. And it's very important that God is telling Elijah, you need to go out and do this. You need to go do this. And he goes, okay, I'll go do it. Um, and it, you need to hear and keep the whole story in mind that this is God's idea, not something Elijah just made up. Yeah, I think I'll try this. It's not like that. It's God saying, do this. And all of it would fit in that. You, you got to be pretty bold to, to try all of this. And so he goes to present himself to, I'll paraphrase a little. He goes to present himself. He runs into Obadiah, who's like the king's, uh, what they call palace administrator. And he's like, hey, tell the king I'm coming. He's like, I'm not telling him that because like you prophet guys, I'll go tell him. And then by the time you, he comes to meet you, you'll be gone and then he'll kill me. And he's already mad. And, you know, he's like, my job, I'm trying to find grass for these cattle and stuff. Like he's sending me out. And he's like, and I, I'm not a bad guy. Like, I, I've actually hid, two, like, prophets in caves. He says he hid 100 prophets in two different caves, and he fed them. And he's like, I'm a good guy. And, and so Elijah's like, don't worry. I'll stay. You know? <laughs> and so there's a chunk there where that all happens. And then so finally, Obadiah goes, and they went to meet with the Ahab. In verse 17, when Ahab sees Elijah, he says this. He said to him, it is you. Is that you, you troubler of Israel? That's what Ahab says to Elijah. Elijah says back, I have not made trouble for Israel. Elijah replied, but you have, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commandments and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel and meet me on top of Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So he's like, bring all your prophets and bring everybody else and we're going to meet on top of this mountain. And... Uh, I put a note here that I think we could just kind of pass by, but when we do act on behalf of the Lord, you're going to be seen as a troubler by people, you know. But I also think that Ahab knows. He's going to like, this is your fault. And he's like, <laughs> and Elijah's meaning like, no, it's not. It's your fault. You know, and I think he knew that, but he's trying to like save face in front of people. But that's good. we will experience that. People will be like, when you're doing the right thing, you're doing it in the right way, you're doing it, you know, you're doing everything right, people will go, 
look, it's you, the person who's causing trouble. And Jesus promises this kind of thing will happen, so we shouldn't be surprised when it happens. But it is difficult. So, verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. So we got Elijah challenging all the prophets of the bad guys on top of a mountain, right? Elijah went before the people and said this. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal's God, follow him. Pretty simple again, right? Remember, like Tozer, do what God says to do. And this one, he's like, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? You know, if, if God who gave us this land is God, why don't you follow him? And if he's not, why don't you follow all this stuff you're following over here? Why don't you try to, you're trying to pretend like you can do both. So why are you jumping back and forth between two opinions? Pick. Pick your team, all right? That's what he says to them in front of everybody. All of Israel's here, the king's there, all their false prophets and everything. So they, so they set up a way of how they're going to do this. The people said nothing. <laughs> That's what happens when you... <laughs> the people said nothing. Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. So I can see him almost gesturing. Like He's got all these guys over here. It's just me. Me and these guys. All those guys over here. And he said, get two bulls for us. Let, the, let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. They can even pick. Give us two. I'll let them pick whichever one they want. So they pick one, all right? And let them cut it into pieces and put it on wood, but not set it on fire. I will prepare the other bull and put it on wood, and I will not set fire to it. Then you can call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the prophets said, that's a good deal. Let's do that. So this is a direct challenge in front of God and everybody at God's direction. And he's like, if Baal's God, follow him. And if God's God, follow him. Okay, you know. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls, prepare it first. Since, uh, since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, which is like a long time, probably like six hours. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response, and no one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Now, this is a thing to note. We all like to taunt. So you should be, like, it's, a, it's, a, it's okay sometimes. All right. It's probably not okay all the time. But it's okay sometimes. <laughs> At noon, Elijah began to taunt, taunt them. Shout louder. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy. Some translations say relieving himself. I don't know why this one says busy. But that's pretty like, yeah. That's, that's taunting there. Perhaps he's deep in thought or on his phone or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and they cut themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered and no one paid attention. There was no response no one answered, and no one paid attention. So that's what happened when the prophets of Baal gave their all, even in spite of the taunting. It was all day, and there's 450 of them. And at least they said 400, or yeah, and 400 prophets of Asherah, which I don't know if they're helping or just watching. I don't know how that all worked. But there's a lot of guys over there doing all this stuff. And they're going for it full blast, like cutting themselves and all this kind of thing. Nothing happens. No one paid attention. 
And Elijah had enough. Verse 30, Elijah said to the people, come, come here to me. So they came to him. And he, re- he repaired the altar of the Lord, which, he had, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. So this is important symbolism. He's building with the four stones. He builds the altar back up. And then he digs a trench around it. This is where you start getting the boldness again. He digs a trench around it large enough to hold two seas of seed. So it's a big trench. So they, he builds an altar out of 12 stones and then digs a trench around it, okay? And he says, then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering in the wood. So he, oh, yeah, so he laid, the, he laid the wood on top of the stone altar with the bowl on top of it. And he's like, pour water on it. And they go, okay. So they did it with four large jugs. And then he said, do it again. And then they do it again. And then he says, do it again. And when, you, when the Bible, when things show up in three things, it's kind of like to make a really, really big point. You know, like holy, holy, holy is like most holy. You know, we might say holiest, you know, this kind of thing. So he's like, do it three times. They did it so much that not only was everything soaked, but the whole trench is full of water. Again, God's just making a point, you know. And uh, so Elijah, verse 36, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed this. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. I didn't make it up myself. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again, back to where they should be. You're turning them back again. And then remember, so all day these prophets have been doing their thing. Nothing happens. No one heard. No one answered. Nothing happened. Soon as he prays this, that you are turning their hearts back again, then the fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil also licked up all the water in the trench. So now there's just like a black spot left. I think I put a picture that I found like a 1960s Bible illustration of this. Is that in there, Andy? He's trying to find it somewhere. I don't know if that's what it actually looked like, but our 1950s, 60s depiction looked like this. So the fire comes down. He didn't do it himself. God sends his fire, and he burns up everything, like absolutely everything. So there's nothing even left. All the water is gone. There's like a black spot. It's like, you know. And it kind of scares everybody. When the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. So their hearts were turned back. And I would say, when the weight of the glory of God falls, there's this strange mixture of things that happen. The seriousness of God and also His nearness and kindness. It's like His holiness. And so I want to talk about this. God has made this big point now that he is most powerful. He is the only God. And this is the point that he wants us to take away from this. And you say, like, well, we're in church on Sunday during July. Like, of course we get this. Okay, I get it. See, here's how we normally want to apply this. We normally want to apply this, like, outward. Meaning, I'm Elijah, and all the people online are watching, and I'm posting something, and God is showing how great I am. Something like that. (laughs) I'm not saying that's necessarily bad. There's going to be times we're going to have to take a stand. It may involve being online. But there's this kind of like, you guys are all so bad, and and God and me are so cool and so awesome. And there's going to be times for that, but I'm telling you, if it feels like that, that ain't it. 
So I'm going to just say, like, for today, let's just not do this, this applied outward thing, okay? So step out of being Elijah for a second and step into being an Israel person. You were called by the king, who's a bad guy, to come to see the prophet on the mountain against the other prophets of the other gods that are around, I guess, and see what happens. And you're living your life the best you can. You know that, like, well, God's called us to take this land again. You know, yeah, and people are doing different things, but, you know, you know you're stuck in the culture you find yourself in. And then there's a prophet of God standing up in front of you, and he says, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? What if he says this to you? What if he says it to me? Like, what if he's saying it to us? How long are you going to waver between two opinions? Like, well, I'm not wavering between two opinions. He goes, this is the same thing. These people were called by God. God God had a covenant with them. Uh, He had blood covenant. There had been, don't you remember on Mount Sinai, the the same fire of God had fallen down, and God had signed things, and there was like, real serious stuff that had happened. And all these years later, these people are turning their back and they're crediting these stone idols. And you go, well, I don't have stone idols. What, what you have to see, though, is our idol worship is like another degree messed up because we don't have the direct, clear spiritual understanding that like, okay, I'm going to worship this to get this or something like that. We don't call it worship anymore. We just call it attention or devotion or emotional... I don't know. I don't know what you might even call it, but you know what it is. And it's something like, why, how are we wavering between two opinions or two? Yeah, like if other people's opinion of you is God, then worship that. Or if your job is God, then worship that. Or if your stuff, your prosperity, your phone, your, the amount of attention you can get from people online, or I don't know, you know, like if all these things that you care about are God, then worship them. Or if God is God, why don't you worship him? And we can find ourselves just like the Israelites where our culture has become mixed, even the church culture. That's why I'm saying he's saying this to us, because our church culture can be mixed in this Baal worship. And we think we still have the name. We're still Israelite, or we're still God's people, but we've mixed in all this Baal worship. And you want to have it both ways. Like, I want enough Jesus to be cool, I guess, and enough of the world to, like, enjoy myself or something like that. (laughs) I don't know what what we're really thinking. We just end up doing this to ourselves. And this kind of story helps you kind of weed it out. This is like the pressure washer again. This is not a lightweight uh, uh, summer. I'm just going to keep going here. Hold on. How long will you waver between two opinions? How much devotion do we give to things other than God? How much attention do we give? How much, uh, and it's not bad to have hobbies or to have things we, we care about or things we do. But there's a point where it shifts from just being, you know, flowing out to flowing in. We're expecting something back from it that only God can give. And it becomes uh, an object of our worship, even though our culture doesn't tend to call it that. That's why it gets a little hard. We're supposed to be bearers of God's name, not bear God's name in vain. But if somebody looked at your life, and you go, I'm a Christian, and they just observed how you act and what you do and what you spend your time and thoughts doing, and they could see all of that, would would they... Go, oh, yeah, I know that. I can tell. Or would they be surprised? Really? 
you, Christian, huh? You follow Jesus? I couldn't tell from how you spent your time and how you, what you did and how you treated other people and the kind of things you said. And like when you stole stuff but just made up reasons that it was okay. I mean, if somebody who didn't know you claimed you were a Christian, would they be able to tell? Does it even matter? Prophet's saying it matters. How long are you going to jump between two opinions? He's like, go for it. Like, if you think stealing stuff's going to make your life, go ahead, do it. Do it then. Actually do it. Just don't try to pretend to be both. He's like, but God, if God's real, there's no time to play around anymore. Because this is destroying everything. The sin that's in our lives, the sin, this doing wrong, this giving devotion to something other, it's the same thing that happened in Eden. God had made this perfect place, the perfect creation. Perfect, and he says, don't, the only thing is don't eat this one tree, the fruit of this one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And then the enemy, the serpent, comes in and lies and tells him, you're not going to die, it's going to be fine. God doesn't want you to have this so you're not like him. And then this whole thing ensues where <laughs> we fall for this idea that we can have both. And then they find out really quick, you can't have both. And it's been the same ever since. This is the human problem. We are are stuck in our sin. Steve Hill used to say all the time at Brownsville, sin separates, which is an obvious thing, but it separates us from God. Like in Eden, after they they sin, God does protect them, and he does promise one day I'm going to work all this out, but you have to leave now. It separates them from the presence of God. It separates us from other people. When we do wrong things, we even just hide ourselves. You read all about in Paul's letters, he talks about that. We all try to do things and, like, get away. And it also separates us from our true selves to where we get all twisted up and we don't even know who we are anymore. And we think that there's some sort of, like, scale. If I do enough good stuff, it'll probably be all right when I stand before the Lord. And Romans 14, 10 through 12 says this, Then... You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. We just sang that. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Your mom's not going to do that. Your mom's not going to do that. You're going to do that. I'm going to do that. We're going to stand before God and give account for ourselves. And this is what Elijah's saying. He's like, you're standing before God and giving account. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God knows ever since Eden that sin has entered the world, and he's working to deal with it. And He's even all to the point that he comes through the people of Israel as Jesus Christ, God himself, comes in the flesh to deal with this issue of sin in the world. And he does it all the way he takes to his death on the cross where he dies and takes with him the cost and the burden of that sin to the cross. But then, surprise, he shows back up three days later and he offers to us eternal life and forgiveness to all those that will follow him. Romans... um, Where is it? Oh, I just read, yeah. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. That's what we all deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus Christ. And it's a gift. Gift of God. And Romans 10, 9 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Saved from the sin and the same for the death that we all deserve. 
We just took you through something called the Romans Road. It's just a way of talking about salvation and what it means. And some of us have never actually done that. Confessed with our mouth and believed in our heart that God raised him from the dead and that Jesus is Lord and give him our lives. And then in that exchange, we find ourselves renewed, not only in this life, but for life everlasting. It's not just a given. If Baal's God, serve him. And they try, and nothing happens. And if God is God, serve him. And this is what he's calling us to do in our culture right now, not in the 1950s. All right, I'm going to close. The thing is this. Everybody standing there, like us, would understand what's going on. We're like, he's challenging the gods of our culture, which some of us have dabbled in, or more than dabbled in. And we know this is God-God, like the only real God. And they're challenging. And, and when, they, when they do this, there's this nothing happening in response, like, this is empty. This is dead. The worship of Baal in God's land has caused drought. It's not working. It's caused us a drought in our lives, too. And we just try to keep filling it up with more and more cutting and more and more, you know, shouting louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe it's just, maybe if I just do a little bit more, it'll work. And it's just nothing. And it keeps being nothing until you run out. And then you realize it's nothing. Meanwhile, the whole time, God is standing over here offering himself. Leslie Newbegin talks about this strange thing that happens when we encounter, um, we encounter God's uh, presence. The fire of God falls. And, and we find ourselves suddenly very aware of our deserving of God's wrath, but also suddenly confused and blessed by the idea that we're experiencing God's love. It's like, I, des- I don't deserve this love, but I'm receiving this love. And it's strange and overwhelming to me in a life-transforming sort of way. And it causes <laughs> both at the same time a godly confidence to live in this world, not disengage, not hide, to live and to love people who aren't lovable, who aren't like us or like you or don't think the way you do, it gives us the ability to do that. But it also gives us a godly fear to go, I'm I'm only here because of the grace of God. I can't be arrogant. Elijah's not being arrogant, okay? He's being bold because God is telling him to be bold. He's not being arrogant. And there's a big difference. Hey, Justin, why don't you come up here and play something? The... uh, um, and you know people who've been in the presence of God because they, uh, they show this even on their face. People who've met with God, they, they, they understand this deserving of God's wrath. But they also can talk about their experience of God's love. It's not either or. It's both. Because of what Jesus did. And... Christian people, people who met God, have a godly confidence to them in this world with each other, but they also a godly fear that they just know the holiness of God is nothing to be played around with. And they might say something like to you that's like, 
Why are you jumping between two opinions? If these drugs are God, then serve them. But it's going to end in nothing and drought. And so what happens? After this fire falls, God burns up everything. The point is made, and everybody gets the point. The Lord alone is God. He alone is God. God is God. And they're totally overwhelmed by this. And Elijah, um, in accordance with Deuteronomy 13.5, says the fa- that false prophets must be put to death. And that in Exodus 34, God had given them a lot of instructions about when you go into this land that I'm giving you, don't take in that culture. Don't worship their gods. Get it out of there. And you see in a pretty dramatic moment what happens. Elijah goes and they said, don't let any of these guys get away. And they go kill all of them. All of those guys that were standing before the, uh, the, the Baal's uh, altar. All of them are wiped out. And the message of that is this. This is how you need to approach these things in your life. When you encounter the presence of God and you realize, I've been worshiping Baal. I've been worshiping these other things. Not only do you turn away back to God, he alone is God, you got to get rid of that. And I mean, like, actually get rid of it. Like, oh, I'll think about it. No, like, if you actually aren't jumping between two opinions, you got to destroy stuff. Like, you have to flush the drugs. you got to get these things out of your life. You've got to, if you're, if you're struggling with pornography, you've got to not only not go to it, you've got to get rid of the things that you've been accessing it with sometimes even for a season. And that's good. God loves this kind of thing. We don't want to be living in a kind of halfway life that is arousing, what do we say, arousing God's anger more than anything else. And we just imagine God will probably be cool with it. You need to remember the story. He's not. He's not cool with it. He's holy and he's righteous and he loves us and he sees what's happening. He wants this out of our lives because it's killing us. It's separating us from him. So, like Elijah, we have to get rid of this. We have to get rid of it totally. And you can apply that in your life, and you need to. And then he tells Ahab, go ahead and head back. The rain's coming. We were over at Carrie's parents' house um, this last week in the panhandle, and they kept saying on the weather channel that we were in the middle of a heat dome. I don't know why it was a dome, but... There was this, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't know if y'all saw this. Carrie's parents were watching the Weather Channel a lot. And this heat dome was over like the whole, like, Louisiana, Alabama, Texas, you know, into Arkansas or whatever. And these temperatures were ridiculous. And where we were was like kind of in the bottom middle of it. And there just was no clouds. And it was just so hot that it was almost not fun to be outside. It was very hot and very sunny. And so you'd be like, maybe there'll be, a, no, there's no, there's not a single cloud, you know. And so Elijah tells the king in a, an environment like that that's been going on for three years, you better head on back because the rain's coming. And then he goes back up to pray because he knows God's told him to do all this stuff, but it's hard to, you know, he hangs his head, he, he's praying, he has his head between his knees and he sends the servant and he's like, go look out in the ocean and tell me, do you see any clouds? And he's like, no, I don't. And he's like, go look again. And, <laughs> and they do this like seven times. Finally, the seventh time, he's like, there's a tiny cloud it's like the size of a hand if I hope, you know, you got one. And he's like, that's it. And then he runs off to, you know, and he actually says he ran and even beat Ahab to the place, which is kind of crazy. So he's running like faster than a horse and it's kind of awesome. 
But this, this is not the end of the story. The story is to be continued. And uh, the, uh, yeah, I have this. This is to be continued next week. But this is what happens when uh, God does send the rain back. Elijah's running back. And the clouds are forming behind him. It says, Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, and the wind rose. The heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking in his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. The Lord doesn't want us being people who claim to bear his name, to claim to be followers of Jesus. He doesn't want us wavering between two opinions. He doesn't want us partially devoted to him and partially devoted to this world. He doesn't want us pulling away from this world. He doesn't want us hiding. In, he doesn't want us uh, cowering under the what-ifs or it used to be different. He doesn't want us to do that. God made you and he made me to live right now. And he made us to live boldly like Elijah right now. In this time, right now, engaged. And that engagement, you can get some instruction in this book, and I invite you to get it, um, because it's not always going to be obvious. And it's always going to be difficult. But it's always going to be possible and powered by the Holy Spirit. And you can do it, and you will do it. But first things first is we have to deal with these things in our lives. That if God, if the prophet was standing before you now and saying, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? Like you think, you think this is going to work? You think this is working? Do you think this is working? You're living in a life of drought, of your own making. How long are you going to waver between two opinions? And he's inviting you back. to cast off the idol worship. So, they're going to play a song in conclusion. If you need to come spend some time with the Lord at the altar alone, you can. If you need prayer, we've been, we're going to try some, we've been trying something new. We're going to have a prayer team. It's actually just a small group today. Back in the back corner, if you need prayer, you just head back there. They'll pray for you. You can pray for you for anything. I'm going to, during this song, um, this, these front steps will be open for people that want to come do business with God. And uh, I'm going to be praying there. And then... Uh, We'll close. So, Lord, we just pray that you would do in our hearts, give us courage to act and to deal with our false idol worship in our lives. In Jesus' name.